What a beautiful year it's been for Soccer Weekly and for the world's game. Hi, I'm Dave Denholm. This is Soccer Weekly here on ESPN LA 710, the home of world football in Southern California. We've got so much to get to wrapping up this year, but first we start with breaking news that happened earlier in the day. Kevin Baxter of the LA Times reported it, that the Galaxy reached an agreement with a new manager. Dennis Teclusa, the new GM, finally gets his man as manager for LA Galaxy after apparent flirtation with Caleb Porter, they get pretty darn good consolation prize, and Guillermo Barros Escaloto, who will be the team's new manager. Baxter reporting it earlier in the day on Twitter. You can check him out at KBaxter11, and he covers LA Galaxy and LAFC. He does a great job over for the Times, and he uh, tweeted it out a, a while ago, earlier in the day. And yeah, it's a uh, Pretty big news, needless to say, to wrap up 2018. Now, a lot of people were saying, well, it's taking them forever, you know, almost at the preseason. Yeah, but you're not. Still the offseason, and they get their man. Scalotto comes in after coaching Boca Juniors down in Argentina to the final of Copa Libertadores, and, of course, all that mess with River Plate and what happened there. I thought it was interesting as I watched that final. The Libertadores two-leg final. Remember, the second leg had to be played in Madrid. We talked about that and all the trouble that went on right before the River Plate leg, and they had to cancel it or postpone it. Moved it all the way over to Spain, and River Plate still won. And it was so fun to watch the two managers, right? Both alum of MLS as players. Now, people might not remember Marcelo Gallardo, who had a cup of coffee with D.C., although he was a very good player. He wasn't in the league a long time. Scalotto was a powerhouse in MLS as a player. Now we'll see what he does as manager of LA Galaxy. This on the heels of Teclosa getting uh, the deal done with Zlatan Ibrahimovic to make sure Ibrahimovic was happy. We talked about that last week. So it's been a, a fast and furious couple of weeks for LA Galaxy. I love Scalotto as a player, and I love him as a manager as well. I do believe this is a very good hire for the league, not just uh, the Galaxy. And remember, that is still important for this league, right? We, I kind of, I, you know, as if I'm talking to you and you're an MLS fan, some of you are not necessarily MLS fans. You just like great radio. Okay, that's fine. But if you do love MLS, you know what I'm talking about. We kind of have a chip on our shoulder in terms of we're kind of all in it together, even if we hate each other. Sports hate, right? I, I sports hate the San Jose earthquakes with the the heat of a thousand suns. I sports hate Portland Timbers worse than just about anybody other than the Pittsburgh Steelers. But I'm still in it with them on some level. That's what MLS does to you. It's not the premiership. It's not English football. It's not La Liga where nobody cares about anybody else but their own club. We're kind of in it together, and Scalotto's a good move for the quote-unquote league, not just LA Galaxy. Much like... Atlanta, a few days ago, hiring, hiring DeBoer, Ronald DeBoer, as their manager. I'm sorry, Frank DeBoer. Duh. He didn't get the, you guys the wrong twin there. Frank, for hiring Frank DeBoer, that's a good move for the league, not just for Atlanta United. Right? Because it's intriguing, as is this Galoto move now for LA Galaxy. So that will heat up things, certainly with the El Trafico. And I'm calling it that. I don't care. The 2018 El Trafico was a part of the 2018 year in soccer. Certainly here in Southern California, as LAFC were born on the pitch. And they went tooth and nail with the Galaxy in some classic games already in that rivalry in just the first year. 
the goal of the year came in the first ever meeting between the two teams. Remember that? Zlatan's goal, and it was goal of the year in MLS. That uh, wasn't the game winner. That tied the game, and of course Zlatan scored the game winner minutes after that. But what a year it's been. I do want to wrap that up, wrap up a lot of what's happened this year on and off the pitch. To start with that, you have to look at the World Cup 2018, right? Anytime it's a World Cup year, it's a special year in the world's game. And that's where a lot of my of the years reside. If I'm making a list, and I am. 2018, manager of the year, there was some really good candidates. Not the least of which was the aforementioned Gallardo for River Plate. One of my candidates, Chris Hewton, over in the uh, Premier League, trying to battle with a team that is just trying to stay, you know, stay relevant and stay right in the middle if they can help it in Brighton. I thought he had a phenomenal year. Jurgen Klopp, certainly worthy. And the, there's a lot of guys who are certainly worthy of it, but Didier Deschamps for leading France to their second World Cup title, this time not on home soil. And I just felt that they they were fully deserved. They were the uh, the best team, and they deserved to win. And frankly, he did a great job. I don't care what anyone says. He has his detractors, but Deschamps gets it done with a team that really played the best football in the tournament. And you know, a lot of people say, "Well, they have the so they had so much better talent." No, no. I mean, they got a very good team. Make no mistake, and they're right up there in talent. I mean, they got a loaded team. Don't get me wrong; you can't win the World Cup without it. But Deshaun did a great job with that team. He got a lot more out of Paul Pogba than other big name managers who shall go nameless here on this show, <laughs> right? So I give DDA Deshaun the Manager of the Year award, and I think you have to tip your cap to him with with reference to those other guys I mentioned. Team of the Year, that's France. In a World Cup year, you're going to be it's going to be hard-pressed to beat the team that won the Team of the Year. But there are some other candidates. Liverpool, one of them. Man City. Certainly a, a worthy, no doubt about it. Even Real Madrid winning the Champions League again. And then, of course, losing Cristiano Ronaldo. But they go on to win the Club World Cup just a few days ago. Certainly worthy. And Atlanta United. No doubt. Club America, they belong there too. Although Cruz Azul, man, I thought they were going to win that. I really did. I thought they were going to win that uh, the playoffs, but Club America deserved it. We talked with Tom Marshall last week about that. So there's certainly a lot of potential teams of the year. France wins it for me. And the player of the year comes essentially from the World Cup as well, although he did a lot otherwise. I'm going to go with FIFA's choice as well. It's Luka Modric for me. And I think he was the player of the year. He was just dominant for Croatia, dragging them to a a World Cup final. And they played some fabulous football. You know the funniest thing about the World Cup that sticks to me too? Is how we all thought Argentina was just garbage, right? Oh, what a terrible World Cup. Argentina ended up losing two games in the World Cup to France and Croatia. Yeah. Let that sink in. They lost to the two teams and got to the final. So yeah, they didn't deserve to win. But they weren't as bad as everybody thought they were either. That's just... It's interesting how sometimes that shakes out. So those are like my three big categories. I mean, there's a lot of other stuff that went on in the year that was fantastic. If you're looking at it from an MLS perspective, the team and the player of the year are very easy, right? Essentially, your MVP was the player of the year, Joseph Martinez, breaking records goal-scoring-wise, and the team was Atlanta United. 
I believe they were the best team all year. I know the Red Bulls had a great run and and nipped them in the you know right at the end to win the supporter shield and taking nothing away from the Red Bulls. But Atlanta United was dominant in the postseason, dominating the final, dominating their way through. They deserved it. They were the best team. And much like Toronto was the year before, Atlanta United, it would have been a pity had they not won MLS Cup based on the year they had. They were the best team. But in MLS, the manager of the year, you're gonna some of you are gonna hate me and some of you are gonna love me. I think it was Bob Bradley. And yeah, I know I do the play by play for LAFC, so everybody's gonna go, oh, you're not this is a guy who took John Thorrington and he molded something from nothing. An expansion team that at times was the best team in MLS. Not all year, by any means. They didn't deserve the supporter shield or anything. They weren't close to that. That's not what I'm saying. But at times, let's put it this way. At times, throughout the season, there were stretches where LAFC played the best football in the league. And Bob Bradley did that on the pitch. And John Thorne, and yeah, Atlanta United's the team or the organization of the year, but LAFC not far behind. And Bob Bradley, to me, did an incredible job getting the right minutes for the right players. They fell short in the end, of course, yes. Real Salt Lake bit them in the playoffs in the one game. The danger of the one-off, but it is what it is. That was an incredible year for an expansion side. Bob Bradley, to me, MLS Manager of the Year. So there's so much more to get to, though. Black and Gold Breakdown coming up. We do want to talk about the uh, LAFC and what to look ahead to for 2019. we got the opening day set around MLS Still more of, you know, Guillermo Barroscoloto. Again, if you're just joining us, Kevin Baxter, the first report for the LA Times saying the Galaxy have hired Scaloto. Pretty interesting move there. That's pretty fascinating, really. Things are about to heat up even more around MLS and more specifically here in the Southland in Los Angeles as that rivalry between the Galaxy and LAFC. Not going to get any smaller with this hiring. This is a great, great hiring for the league as a manager and for LA Galaxy, without a doubt. Certainly not going to do anything to inhibit or, I guess, play upon, make worse El Trafico, that's for sure. This is a great hire. I'm fascinated by Scalotto and what he's going to do as a manager in MLS. All of that and still so much more to get to. I am Dave Dethome, and you are listening to the home of world football here in Southern California. This is ESPN LA 710. Soccer Weekly, happy holidays, Merry Christmas to you and yours. This is my Christmas gift to you, wrapping up 2018, taking a look at a very special year and what I believe is the best game in the world, the beautiful game here at Soccer Weekly on ESPN LA 710. As always, brought to you by the fine folks at Puente Hills Toyota. Get your 2018 Toyota Camry SE today at Puente Hills Toyota. Check them out, Puente Hills Toyota. Dot com And we appreciate their support, much like we appreciate yours. If you want to follow along on the show, not only during the show, but we do a lot of stuff afterwards, you know, during the week, you want to talk to me, at Talk Soccer. Pretty easy. At Talk Soccer. You can follow me there. My name is Dave Denholm. I am the voice of LAFC. We uh, carry those games here on ESPN LA. And I got to tell you, it was a fantastic year for LAFC, which brings me now to what we like to call the black and gold breakdown. You know, I just mentioned it in the previous segment. And if you miss any of the show, by the way, you can podcast it. Go to ESPN Pod Center, iTunes, wherever you know you pick up your podcasts at your podcatcher and look for Soccer Weekly. Subscribe, rate, and review, please. That would help us immensely. Whether you love the show or not, I can take it. I've been in radio for 30 years. People criticize me every day. It's fine. But I, I would love your honest feedback. That's great. But I, as I was talking in the first segment about 
the black and gold, and Bob Bradley being my MLS manager of the year, and how successful that team was. 57 points, great run, only one loss at home. I mean, that's incredible for an expansion side. Yeah, they dropped some points with draws. We talked about that throughout the season. They know they got to do better than that. But here's the key. When you're talking about the black and gold for 2019, it is the danger of that second-year letdown. After such success on and off the pitch, and I'm talking about myself, too, in the sense of i got to be better prepared for the next year to do my job. No one in the organization can rest because the league is not slowing down. And the league is not going to just say, well, okay, you had a great first year. Apparently, you're going to be great every year. All right, we're going to bow to you and let you do your thing. No, the league's getting better. LAFC isn't get, is getting better. They must do, continue to do that. That is crucial. This second year sets up the entire franchise. It's not the first year. Yes, they're going to sell out games in the first year, and they did, every one of them. It's what you do in the second and the third and the fourth year. This year being most crucial. That momentum has to keep going. It has to keep translating after a long off season. Now, I'm not saying it's not going to. I suspect it will. And Bob Bradley's still at the helm as the manager, and John Thorrington and his crew are still running the, sh- the ship off the pitch. So nothing's changed that way. There was a lot of turmoil, really, if you look at it. Now, they had a good success injury-wise. They had the, the terrible blow to Mark Anthony Kay. He's coming back. That's good. The team has re-signed him for a long-term deal. Edward Atuesta missed a lot of games that were important because when those two were on the pitch, look out. But they were pretty healthy, realistically, for a professional sports franchise. And they had a lot of things go very right. Now, it's that second year you have to come in hungrier than you did the first. I'm talking from the front office down to the the guys who, you know, the physician or you know, the physios and the people who handle weight train everybody. They got to come in hungrier in 2019. You can see what's going on with the Galaxy to kind of compare and contrast, right? Galaxy had essentially a dismal season. Now they got hot late and nearly squeaked into the postseason, which would have been amazing if they would have both played each other in that 3-6 game. And the Galaxy didn't rest in the offseason, right? They know what the issues are. They get Zlatan. They make sure he's happy with a much bigger deal, one of the biggest in MLS, if not the biggest, reportedly. And then as Kevin Baxter has reported from the LA Times earlier today, Guillermo Vera Scaloto is named manager has agreed to become the manager. What a signing. So my point being that the Galaxy know that they had a bad 2018. It's sometimes easier to get fired up for the next year when you're coming off a tough year. And for the Galaxy, the Galaxy has been a tough, tough couple of years. Tough stretch here. For LAFC, everything was great in 2018. Fans are happy. Crowds are great. Food is good. Your merchandise is ridiculously cool. I got people begging me for LAFC merchandise that couldn't care less about soccer. And you know that's the truth, whether you hate LAFC or not. And now it's the second year. It's going to be crucial. The letdown is a possibility, and they must avoid it. they got to come in hungrier. Now, it's all well and good to say, yeah, you know, when you're an expansion team, we want to win an MLS Cup. Nobody really believed that in the sense of that really can't be your goal in the first year. Now, they said that, and they believed it. Now it's the goal. Win MLS Cup. Win the U.S. Open Cup. Get to the CONCACAF Champions League. Then go win that. Now those are realistic. That has to be 
the the absolute razor's edge focus for Bob Bradley's team the minute they hit a blade of grass in preseason. And that's what I'm going to be looking for. It's not about just, ooh, how do they come out of the gate? Do they win a couple games early? That'll be important. But remember, that's not the end-all, be-all. It's about that attitude the whole season long. It is a long haul in MLS. And you've got to go after it. In the dog days of summer, they got to go after it. It's that second year. Keep an eye on it. That is the black and gold breakdown. I mentioned opening day for MLS. Those games are set for all teams. Very intriguing matchups. Not the least of which is LAFC's game. Their first game will be March 3rd, Sunday. I'm sure you all know this by now. But what intrigues me, it's the only team who beat LAFC at Bank of California Stadium in the regular season up until that dreadful playoff game that didn't that went awry. And that, of course, was Sporting Kansas City. So LAFC gets a chance for revenge immediately there in terms of a loss at, at home. They'll take on Sporting Kansas City on the third. That's a Sunday game. It's one of two Sunday games in that first weekend, the other one being the champions, Atlanta United, traveling to D.C. Earlier, the, the day before, we'll see the opening of FC Cincinnati. They'll be at CenturyLink Field. Sound familiar? An expansion team gets to go to uh, Seattle for their first game. Ring any bells? <laughs> we saw that in March for LAFC getting the victory. Galaxy will open up at home under Scalotto. His first game at Dignity Health Sports Park, which if you're not familiar, that's the new name for what I'll always know as Home Depot Center in my head. But Dignity Health Sports Park, the home of the Galaxy, they'll host Chicago Fire. Among the other interesting matchups on that first weekend, if I'm being honest, there aren't many. But I'd like to see what happens with Columbus Crew now that Greg Berhalter's gone as they take on the Red Bulls at home. And with all the the turmoil that was 2018 for Columbus, and now that's kind of being settled, it looks like. Will they get back to being a real, a true, tough franchise? You know, like a real, a growing franchise? Another intriguing matchup for me is how does Toronto FC respond after that dreadful 2018, after having a nearly perfect 2017, going after it really just all out for the Champions League and falling just short to Chivas, and then falling on their face in MLS, I, I think those are related in a lot of ways. And having a, such a tough time, I'm very curious to see how that goes in their first game at Philadelphia. A team who surprised me last year as well. I thought they were pretty decent. And you, know, you just don't, I don't know, at times Philadelphia seemed like they were floundering, but they, they might be getting their act together a little bit. So that's an intriguing matchup. Oh, by the way, LAFC will also be the home opener for Portland Timbers, but that doesn't happen all the way to like June because of the the remodel going on at uh, Providence Park for Portland. So LAFC actually will be the home opener for Portland. And of course, their home opener will be at home, LAFC, at Bank of California when they take on Sporting Kansas City again March 3rd. I'm looking forward to that one. Yeah, I promise you that. You'll hear it on ESPN LA. And I'll have the call, so if you want to... i got to tell you, i got to say, that's been a, the biggest part of 2018. It's very selfish for me. It's that I got my dream job, and I'm burying the lead here. We're already, I don't know, 20-plus minutes into the show, essentially. And I'm burying the lead. 2018, I got my dream job. Play-by-play for a Major League Soccer franchise in LAFC. And what a ride it was, i got to tell you. If you haven't listened... 
You really ought to catch some games. We have a great time. Mario Rees does a great job producing those. Pablo Alcina I work with, Mark Rogandino. They do a lot of the pregame and halftime and postgame stuff. Really good time. So check those out. But, yeah, it was, it was a dream for 2018. I'm still on cloud nine heading into 2019. Not everything in the soccer world is champagne and roses, right? I'm going to tell you why. And it's a take that if you listen to the show, I've got a different spin on it than you might think. You might think you know where I'm going when I say, coming up, I'm going to tell you why the Premier League is awful. But it's not what you think, potentially. So even if you've heard me, you know that I'm not a huge Premier League fan. I think it's very overrated. I'm going to tell you why it's absolutely awful, but not for the reasons you might think. That's next here. I'm Dave Denholm. This is Soccer Weekly as we wrap up 2018 here on the home of world football in Southern California, ESPN LA 710. Soccer Weekly, ESPN LA 710. I am Dave Denholm. Wrapping up 2018. What a ride it's been. Thank you so much for your support. You can follow me on Twitter at Talk Soccer, where we continue the conversation throughout the week. And also, uh, by the way, want to mention, you want to uh, check out anything of the podcast. If you miss any of the show, check out the podcast. It gets up pretty quickly after the show is done each and every week. And uh, you can follow that. Uh, find that on the ESPN Pod Center. You can go to iTunes or your podcatcher and look for Soccer Weekly. If you're so inclined, please subscribe, rate, and review. We really appreciate it. It helps the podcast grow. I don't know all the, the ins and outs of the algorithms or anything, but it does. Why is the premiership awful? I'm going to answer that question right now. It's dreadful. Now, I know a lot of you love your premiership. You love to put on your little Everton scarf and head on down to the pub in Southern California, right, where a lot of people who are from or expats who are from there will sing their songs and you get caught up in it. And now you love Everton. Even though you've never stepped foot in Liverpool, even though you have no idea what stadium Everton plays in, nor will you ever probably be there, but you love Everton because it's in the Premier League. That's not why it's awful, right? Even though I think that's kind of ridiculous on some level, in my humble opinion, but that's not why the Premier League is awful. The Premier League is awful. Just awful because it offers 85 to 90% of the teams in the league itself no hope. Now, I know you've heard this before, but I can't stress it enough. And I want to point out the team that I like over there because my good friend, Brighton Matt, who used to be Boston Matt, that'll give you an idea where he now lives, now loves and he's fallen in love with Brighton and Hove Albion, right? Come on, you Albion. Now, you know, in fairness to him, he used to reside in Boston, never got associated with the New England Revolution. Can't really blame him. Ugh. But he should have. That's his That's his shame. Shame on him that he's now become a soccer fan only when he goes over to London or that area, I should say, in Brighton now, which is, what, about an hour, hour and a half south of London on the coast, and he's now fallen in love with the Seagulls. Come on, you Albion, right? So he's a big fan of Brighton. But they're a classic example. As I was preparing for this show, and I started tweeting about it or talking about it with him on texting back and forth a little bit, and it struck me. As I watched them play earlier in the day, a 1-1 draw against Arsenal, it's just a matter of all they're trying to do is not screw up staying in the premiership, quote-unquote. 
That's their goal, right? And I know you've heard this argument. And I know a lot of you are fake fans of like Chelsea or Man United or the Man City, and it doesn't apply to you because you found your way to loving one of these Chelsea or whatever great teams. Now all of you are Liverpool fans. Okay. Yeah. What about the rest of the Premiership where they can't even take the chance of spending big money that they have for fear they're going to be relegated? And now you can say, well, Denholm, that's great. Promotion and relegation, it's awesome. If all the teams had that threat, it would be incredible. Hear me out on that. If there was a genuine threat that in 2019-20, like next season, Liverpool could be relegated, then I'd be all in with you. Now you'll say, well, of course they can. We saw City get relegated before. We saw, No. No, can't happen. These teams at the top of the Premiership are powerhouses, admittedly, for this league. They got too much talent. They got too much money to spend. They're willing to do it. And they found themselves now in a place, and they're big clubs, historically, no question. Tottenham, Liverpool, Man City. I understand mathematically they could be relegated, but it ain't going to happen. I think Manchester United throughout most of these years has been garbage. Right? We saw Jose Mourinho get sacked. Now they won a couple of straight under Solskjaer. But I thought they were garbage. They had no chance to be relegated, as bad as they were. Because they weren't that bad. All these other teams, it's just an absolute drain. Brighton, they've been in the Prem now. This is their second year. They can't take that chance. They cannot, Brighton cannot be the best club they could possibly be. They can't afford to take the chance of being the best they could possibly be. Good manager, love Chris Hewton, brilliant fans. Absolutely stunning fans, like most of the Premiership teams, even at the bottom have. The fandom, you can't argue with. They pack out their stadium. They got money coming in because of all the TV revenue and all the revenues traveling into the Premiership. They can't afford to try to be their best. And that is just disgusting to me. It nullifies everything about that league. When a team like that who's comfortably in the middle of the pack, they can't afford, they can't take the chance of actually going out and trying to become the best team on the pitch that they can possibly be. And it isn't their fault. I don't blame them. They're doing it, quote-unquote, right for their club. But it nullifies everything we've been taught and everything competition at a professional level should be, right? I'm not talking about seventh grade basketball. I don't care who wins or loses there, really. I know we keep score and it's fun and you should, you know, teach kids how to win. I get all that. This is professional sport. And they cannot afford to be the best they can possibly be. And I don't blame them. That's the problem. You can't even blame them for it. Do you see where I'm getting at? It's not about, oh, that's a shame. That's ridiculous. They're just hoarding money. They can't afford to take the chance that they overspend on one player and it ruins them and they get sent down. And the whole the crime of it is the reason the premiership is awful is I don't blame them. And neither should you. Absolutely makes the premiership, to me, very worthless because of that. I mean, look at the way it goes. 
top six teams you can recite from, you know, like, oh, yeah, whatever. Just move them around a little bit if you want. Yes, Lester won a few years ago. Yes, that's the example that proves the rule. It's such an outlier. But a team like Brighton, who does everything right, building up from the championship, they can't be good. They cannot be the best they can possibly be. And they know it. And it's not just Brighton. I'm not. I'm just making them. It's a classic example because they're perfect for what I'm trying to say. Because they're they are a good club, and not a bad team. Crystal Palace, Newcastle, West Ham. I mean. And Newcastle obviously has had history in the past, but of course they've fallen on hard times more recently. Bournemouth, these teams cannot, they cannot uh, go after the top teams. Well, I mean, they could fake it for a little while. Burnley gave us a little fun, had a nice little run. Yeah, these teams will do okay for a while, maybe even sneak up towards the top of the chart. But there's always the same teams. And that's not the argument. Again, don't miss, don't, you know, miss the uh, the thing. I know you, Tottenham Hotspur fan, that you've been a fan now for seven minutes. I know you're pumped and you don't care. Makes the uh, makes the Premier League look all the more awful to me. It really does. Don't try to sell me on how you're such a real fan. I'm not buying it. Just stop with that garbage, all right? But you know what? I'm, you know I'm right. At, at the core of it, you know I'm right. And that's what ticks you off most about it. So you'll dig your heels in. Nobody's going to learn anything from this, me talking about this. Not really. You're too selfish. And the people who agree with me, they'll nod their head. They know I'm right. They know what I'm talking about. And even you do too, really. But you're not going to you're not going to admit it. That's fine. I can I can, you know. I get that. It just had to be said. As we wrap up another great year in world football, it's just, to me, it's one of the most annoying things about soccer in America. It really is. This lust and love for the premiership. Not even the best league in terms of T. I I mean, that's the beauty of this. Everybody always talks about, well, the NBA is the best basketball. We love the best in America. Of course, the NFL, it's one of the only ones who really play it with any seriousness. The NBA, by far and away, the best players are here. The NHL... We love the best. Premiership's not even the best. And that's the that's so what's so ironic about it all. Absolutely hilarious. Hey, uh, if you want to hit me up on Twitter, I know you're going to have some opinions on this. I get it. That's fine. I would love to hear from you. I can take it. I would love the back and forth. I got no problem with that. We'll continue the conversation after the show as well on Twitter at Talk Soccer. I am Dave Denholm. Still to come, stoppage time, and so much more. I am going to start something that I think is going to be really fun. And the first ever of this is coming up next here on Soccer Weekly. I'm Dave Denholm, and you are listening to the home of world football in Southern California. This is ESPN LA 710. Soccer Weekly, ESPN LA 710. I am Dave Denholm. This is the home of world football here in Southern California. And as we wrap up 2018, I do want to mention something that I'm going to be doing here. And it is uh, it is something that I, I'm intrigued by. It's I want to take a look at 
MLS a little deeper for like a, a kind of a fun thing that I'm going to do once a year. It's not always going to be the end of the year like this one is, but I wanted to start it off this way. And I wanted to do a MLS Hall of Fame, right? Just kind of a fun thing. Soccer Weekly MLS Hall of Fame. I know there's a soccer Hall of Fame. They do a great job. This is nothing, you know, this is just my little fun on the show MLS Hall of Fame. It gives us a chance to kind of look back too, right? Of all the greats, the players, the coaches, the front office people, those who helped establish this league. And I want to induct two people into my Soccer Weekly MLS Hall of Fame each year. Only two. We're not going to water this thing down. We're not, uh, there's no class of 2024 that has 18 inductees. No. It's going to be very rarefied air. Right? So 2018. I'm going to do my MLS Hall of Fame. Soccer Weekly, MLS Hall of Fame. And there's only two inductees that I could think of right off the bat that to me were just like I had to start with them. Right? There was no getting around it. And those two are, first and foremost, number one, and it's obviously it's a slam dunk, without a doubt. He is really synonymous with MLS. That is former Galaxy great Landon Donovan. Certainly the M- MLS MVP trophy named after him. He is an all-time great leader in goal scored until Chris Rondolowski probably breaks that this year. 2019 coming up. He's only goal behind. Leader in assists all-time. And I mean, come on. It is an absolute no-brainer. He is one of the greats. The best American soccer player of all time, bar none. Landon Donovan, and remember, this is just an MLS, right? This is just an MLS Hall of Fame. This has nothing to do with how great he was for the U.S. So that's where I'm keeping it. He's the number one inductee. He is first and foremost. The second inductee into the uh, Soccer Weekly MLS Hall of Fame is, for my money, the greatest defender I've ever seen as an American and he played in MLS his entire career and was dominant, and that was Eddie Pope. Eddie Pope becomes the uh, second inductee and the in the first class of the Soccer Weekly MLS Hall of Fame. He was a four-time MLS All-11, just absolutely dominant. At the height of his powers, for me, he could have played on any pitch in the world and would not have been out of place. I'm talking any team. Yes, Barcelona. Yes, Real Madrid. Yes, Inter Milan. Yes, Juventus, anywhere he wanted to play. He chose to stay in MLS his entire career. At the height of his powers, he's one of the best defenders in the world. And he was dominant. Winning titles, of course. Had a great run with DC United early in his career. Eddie Pope, really one of the unsung players, too. A quiet guy. Ended up going on, if you needed more than just his on-field, he ended up being part of the MLS Players Union initially helping establish that, so he definitely has the credentials with all that was going on there. So, Eddie Pope and Landon Donovan, congratulations, my first ever Soccer Weekly MLS Hall of Fame inductees for 2018. Time now for Stoppage Time. Oh, Stoppage Time, what a bit it has been, and now in fairness, Mario Rees is off on vacation enjoying the holidays. Happy holidays and Merry Christmas to Mario and his family taking some well-deserved time off. Jesse, I won't make you do the uh, Soccer uh, Weekly Stoppage Time bit. That's Mario's terrain, and you know that. You get that. But one story that I did want to mention 
that I think is very intriguing is the story of Tim Weah. Timothy Weah, of course, the uh, son of the great George Weah, one of the best strikers in the world when he played. And he was at PSG. He's a young American, 18 years old. He's really on his way up. He's going to take on a loan. He's going out on loan for the next six months. ESPN had the story. It was announced on Christmas. I'm reading it off of ESPN FC. You should check out their work over at ESPN FC. They do some great stuff. And there's a report out of uh, France from French radio RMC that Wea is going to join the Celtic. Right? That was the first reported. So, yeah, this is a good move for Timothy Wea. I think Celtic is a very good club for him. Certainly not afraid to play young players. They're doing a great job there. Brandon Rogers, I like him. I think I think this is a very intriguing move. I really do. So kudos to that. Quite frankly, that's to me. Look, being at PSG is great. If you're not going to get your playing time, it's not so great. We know this. It's far better for a kid like Timothy Weah to go play off at a great club who's going to win games. They're going to have success. He can be a part of that. Get that confidence going at a young age. Still only 18, remember. I mean, it's just ridiculous how young players are getting and how they're expected to perform. And, oh, by the way, so many of them do at such a young age. Not just uh, you know around the world, but also American players doing a great job. And another one I want to mention specifically, Josh Sargent. And he's playing over at Werner Bremen. Now he's starting to break in a little bit as a substitute. A couple of goals in just three appearances there. And right before, of course, you know, the Bundesliga takes their winter break. And Josh Sargent. Now, I, I kind of joked, kind of, when I first saw, I saw a Sargent in some of the under, you know, the youth competitions, the World Cup and everything. Fantastic player, right? And, I, and you could tell he was going to be great. No question. He's starting to show that a lot. And the reason I bring him up is, I don't know, a couple months back, I made a bit of a joke on Twitter. You can follow me there, at Talk Soccer where I kind of said, are we absolutely sure Josh Sargent is not the best American player? And, you know, a little shot at Christian Pulisic, who's been struggling. I'm not, I mean, not a shot at him, but more like compare and contrast, right? I got to tell you, man, if Christian Pulisic doesn't get into the right situation and in a hurry, uh, my tweet will have been proven right. He is struggling at Borussia Dortmund to get time. I mean... You know, anytime you get a Borussia Dortmund, the guy's Christian Pulisic's a magnificent player. Make no mistake. I'm not taking anything away from him. But he's struggling a bit. And, again, that's what it comes down to. That's why I kind of want to reference the Timothy Weah going to from PSG, where he's not seeing a lot of playing time, to a place where hopefully he can really have a significant impact. It matters. That doesn't mean Christian Pulisic is not a good player because he leaves Borussia Dortmund. Now, maybe that's a bad example because I know a lot of teams are chasing after Christian Pulisic, and some of the best teams in the world. So, But I'm talking about all American. Now, I'm not saying you go play in the third division somewhere just to get playing time. I don't care about that. I'm talking about going to another big club and getting some playing time instead of languishing somewhere like a you know PSG. That's no, no knock on Timothy Weah. PSG's loaded. So I don't blame him at all. I think it's a good move. And I think it's something that you keep your eye on for him and his development because he is going to be a part of the U.S. buildup. Has to be. Now, I haven't mentioned much about the United States on this. Obviously, a disappointing 2018. We did not qualify for the World Cup, and that was painful, and it better never happen again. But I do think there are brighter times ahead with Greg Berhalter being hired here at the end of this year, towards the end of this year. I'm looking forward to seeing Berhalter as the manager of the U.S. men's national team. Right? A dreadful 2018. Let's put it in the books for the U.S. men's national team, and let's really move forward.
and let's make sure that it doesn't ever happen again, beginning with 2022. Right? That's it. That's all I want looking forward. That's uh, what we need for 2019, is starting to plan for 2022 immediately. Nothing is too, like, oh, it's out in the distance. No. Everything matters building up to qualifying for 2022 and that we never miss the World Cup again. So it all matters starting right now. It's starting in 2019 without a doubt. Oh, what a year it's been. So much has gone down. I truly appreciate all of your support. Again, you can follow me on Twitter, at TalkSoccer. You can listen to the podcast. Go to ESPN Pod Center. You can check it out on, on social uh, social media. I, I post it up on Twitter, whatever the uh, the links are ready or whatever. But they're very quickly up on uh, the Pod Center at ESPN or iTunes or whatever. Don't forget, subscribe, rate, and review. I know those words are thrown around a lot when it comes to podcasts, but it does matter. And if you're a supporter of the show, I would really appreciate you doing that. And thanks so much for listening. I really appreciate it. You can follow me again on Twitter at Talk Soccer. It's been quite a ride. Looking forward to a bigger and better 2019 here and beyond. Uh, thank you for uh, being part of it. I am Dave Denholm. You are listening to the home of world football here in Southern California. This is ESPN LA 710.